One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you, and I say that in a spirit of positivity based on our friendship and companionship, because we've got to look for something to cheer us up this morning, because Arsenal sure as fuck are not going to do that. Fair enough. I, I respect you for doing that. Before we start, is this show yeah. still sponsored by Razorblades? Because it would be really <laughs> fitting if so. Uh, oh yeah! We need to get back in touch with those guys. Suddenly, it's a re- it's really on brand. It's really theme yeah, We should we should see if we can get a few more people on. Not like sleeping pills, barbiturates. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a whole range of sponsors that this podcast could use at this moment in time. Um, uh, yeah, I, I guess it's not really a goodly morning, but it, it's kind of a, a groundhog morning, if you will. Yes, it is a bit of a groundhog morning. It feels very familiar. We've been here before. We'll be here again, I think, uh, which is the other thing that uh, obviously is a bit tough to deal with this morning. But, uh, yeah, where do we start? How do we start? Well, let me tell you, before Mm. we start, I really did my bit. You know the old Arsecast Extra rule, something bad happens to James, something good happens to Arsenal. I really tried, guys. On Saturday, I was involved in a quite serious car accident. What? What? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my car is officially not working. Um, I mean, half of it's sort of crunched up. What like, the hell Nobody happened? was hurt, thank thank God. Nobody was hurt. I don't want to say too much because I don't really know what the ensuing legal ramifications will be. But ah. let's just say someone was driving a vehicle that they were not necessarily qualified to drive. It was like an allegory for Arsenal, really. <laughs> Someone was driving a vehicle out of control, and this vehicle uh, collided with my vehicle, and uh, incredibly, nobody was hurt. Okay, but, well, that's good, that's good. I'm glad no, nobody was but, hurt. But what I mean is, before anyone says, James, you haven't, you know, chucked yourself off a cliff, or you haven't, you know, put yourself in hospital, I tried. I tried. The universe it, tried, clearly. I mean, I'm sure you didn't set out to have a car crash. Actually, the universe again, tried. Again, it's very important for legal reasons that I make that clear. I definitely didn't set out. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Well, look, even if the universe is conspiring to to work in our favour, the the fundamental issues, the problems that Arsenal have are uh, go far beyond that. They can... I know. Yeah, oh, my God. Um, well, look, I'm glad uh, you're all I right. Mean, I can't... Look, I'm all right. I mean, I mean, it's all relative, isn't it? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm happy I've got my health, but I, mean, I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't have been the worst thing, guys. I wouldn't have had to watch this game on Sunday. Um, yeah, if only I was a little bit badly injured, that would be fine. Yeah, just yeah. a little bit in a coma would have been great. Just, just for three or four yeah. days. Honestly, a couple of days see me through. Maybe until the end of the transfer window. Love, and then yeah, exactly. I wake up. Hopefully I wake up, I was listening to a thing last night, a programme about amnesia. If I woke up with that and didn't remember I was an Arsenal fan, that might be the optimum outcome. Ooh, 
Yeah, lovely. Can you imagine, I'd have to. Pick, I could pick a team all over again. A lovely, relaxing coma. You could get yeah. somebody to wash you while you're lying there, and then you mm. wake up and you can just start afresh. But of course, yeah. you know, you yeah. Yeah, I know. Look, we couldn't countenance that, to be honest. You couldn't support another team. You're, you're in it. You're stuck with us. You're here for life. Like the rest of us, we are uh, unwilling, unable to change, and we are slaves to the fortune of this um, this football club of ours. So we, we do not break our contracts. <laughs> no, we always respect our contracts. Our contract is uh, yeah. our lifelong contract to this misery. <laughs> what did we do? Oh my goodness! Anyway, I am right. Right. Let's get into it, will we? Let's start. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. How? How? I, I mean, uh, I, well, why don't you tell me how it's making you feel today? What happened at Anfield? Today, it's making me feel like banging my head off a wall. Mm. Not Not necessarily in a kind of, like, not like... Like that, more like is making me. But you know what, though? Yesterday, I was doing the live blog and I was chatting with uh, Andrew Allen uh, on the old uh, Gmail chat doohickey there. And I I posted a. Actually, this happened twice. Um, Yesterday, we sent each other WhatsApps. We crossed the streams. Basically, you sent one and I sent one. I think mine just said, This is so bad. And you went something like, This is appalling. Simultaneous. At exactly (laughs) the same time. And on the live blog, I posted, God, I'm bored. I'm bored. And Andrew, like within seconds, went, God, fucking hell. Arsenal are so boring Mm. at the moment. And that was. You know, one of the one of the overriding emotions that I felt that when you watch a game like that, you're often filled with anger and frustration and rage. And if it were the first time or the second time or the third time or the seventh time or the ninth time that you'd seen that performance and that kind of result, then maybe you would be filled with those same things. But there was just a like, oh, fuck, you know, I've seen it too many times. I've lived through it too many times to look at the team selection, to look at the way the team is set up, to see the way that the players are playing, to try and understand some of the decisions. But, you know, I felt bored by it. And then I kind of felt guilty for being bored because I shouldn't be bored. You know, there should be more to it. I think, you know, I'm feeling a bit more nuanced about the whole thing. But watching it yesterday, my brother sent me a text after about 10 minutes uh, uh, he's a Liverpool fan, obviously, and he went, ooh, this, this could be a bit of a long afternoon. I went, yeah, I, th- I think it could be. And it was. It was one of the longest 90 minutes that I can remember. By about 70 minutes, I was just like, fucking, you know. Can we not just get five players sent off and abandon the game and give them a 3-0? It was just, it was that yesterday. Yeah. No, I mean, it, we gave them a fourth goal instead in the end. Yeah. It, it was... Uh, Absolutely appalling. I mean, I, I, there have been many uh, humiliating defeats down the the years. I think I saw a stat on Sky. I think since twenty thirteen fourteen, we've played twenty one games away to the top six. I think we've won two. Mm. And I think we've conceded three or four goals. You know, I don't know half those occasions or some, something mental like that. Yeah. And I and uh, we've just seen this play out time and time again. But yesterday was particularly bad because. At no stage of the game did it feel like a contest. Your brother was right to send you that message after 10 minutes because it was already clear at that point how this was going to go. Yeah. 
And the fact that we didn't even muster a shot on target really sums up, I guess, how timid and poor our performance really was. It, I, I know there have been some real low points in recent years, but in terms of the, the gulf between the sides and the way in which we sort of singularly failed to even make a fist of competing, this one feels particularly bad. Yeah, you know, you look at Liverpool and, um, you know, before the game we're saying, OK, this could be a shootout because you've got two defences that aren't really that great, but Liverpool's defence yeah. was not troubled at all. They had a fucking clowning goal. That I like well, fucking what the fuck is that guy? What is going on with that guy? We'd barely even tested him. There was that early chance for Danny Welbeck that he spooned over, and I think there might have been a shout for a penalty because he was pulled back a little bit. Not that I'm saying mm-hmm. that that would have changed the trajectory of our performance or, or anything else, uh, or or using it as an excuse. But like to not even give that guy work to do when he's so clearly brittle is just. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that I've got the words to describe it. I'm sure we'll get into the specifics, but facing a team, you know, with their second choice goalkeeper who's clearly low on confidence and yet not playing your club record signing goal scorer, you know, someone to try and get a shot away at him, (sighs) you know, uh, is absolutely maddening. But we didn't create anything. We had no stage where we really in the game. I mean, I guess when that Welbeck had that chance, I think it was nil-nil at that point, maybe... Maybe that was the sort of the closest we came to ever looking like we were actually in the thing. Mm. But after that, it was one-way traffic and Liverpool aren't even that brilliant. Like, they have vulnerabilities, like Carrius was playing, but then you look at their defence, there's some really dodgy players in that back four. Some really dodgy players. I mean, look at Moreno last season. Look yeah. at, I forget the, the name of the right back, but he's not a special Gomez. player. The guy they got from Charlton, Gomez, yeah. Uh, centre-half, they've had trouble... You know, Hoffenheim caused them all sorts of problems. Yeah. We gave ourselves too much credit saying that this was going to be a shootout because, you know, we didn't even have time to draw and they put four bullets in us. It was unbelievable. And, yeah, we it was a, one of the worst performances in terms of the application of the players, in terms of having any sense of... I mean, look, you see teams give up on seasons halfway through and you look at, you know, when you see us pick up results like this in March or April, you think, oh, they've thrown in the towel. I've never seen a team, an Arsenal team, do that or perform in that manner three games into the season. Yeah. For me, that was the biggest worry, to be perfectly honest, that it is only three games in and people will say, it's only three games, take a little bit of distance, don't panic. That's what Arsene Wenger said. But, like, I am panicking in the sense that when you see a team... Uh, somebody on the arse, I said, look, you know, the, the, the manager looks like he's lost the dressing room. The players don't believe in him. And I thought that last season for periods. And then we, we had that run. We won the FA Cup final. And you think, okay, well, maybe, maybe they've rekindled their belief in him. But yesterday, as someone on the arse said this morning, they basically, they've downed tools. Some of those players basically downed tools yesterday after three games of the season. Some of them looked like they just did not give a shit. And I suppose... And I think... Go yeah. on. No, I just think it's, it's fair enough to be alarmed after three games because these three games have been sort of like Arsenal shit show bingo. I mean, look at the first game against Leicester. We're conceding awful goals from set pieces. Classic yeah. Arsenal bullshit. The second game, we go and lose at Stoke. What could exemplify a weak Arsenal team more than our, our defeats at Stoke? Yeah. And in the third game, we get hammered away to a big side. We are ticking off all the boxes of our worst campaigns in the first month. Mm. 
I think what, what you see on the pitch from players is a real barometer of what's happening at a football club. Because if you looked at this with an objective eye, if you were looking at Manchester United or Chelsea, actually, you know, there are parallels with Chelsea, aren't there? This season that uh, Mourinho got fired. Like, yeah. you look at some of those players and you knew they were going through the motions. Too many of those players are going through the motions for Chelsea. And it was obvious to all of us what the issue was. And it was the manager. Right, they had stopped mm. playing for Jose Mourinho. Whatever the circumstances of that were, or whatever was the, uh, the the reason behind that, it was obvious what was happening. And if you look at Arsenal, it's obvious what's happening because to nobody's taking any responsibility. People playing like individuals. Nobody even bothering to pull people up on what they should be doing. I mean, all the focus on Aaron Ramsey and the way that he played yesterday, swanning around the pitch with nobody telling him, "Look." Jesus Christ, just sit in there beside um, uh, Granit Xhaka and just add a little bit of stability to our midfield. And people say, well, look, Arsene Wenger has indulged him. He's allowed him to do this. And that's true. It is true. But also nobody on the pitch seemed to say anything to him. Why did nobody say to Aaron Ramsey, you are a central midfield player, sit there and do the fucking job? I can tell you one thing. I know it's like nonsense, but if I was a centre-half playing in that team... And one of my central midfielders was doing what Ramsey was doing. You'd have words. You would have very visible words with him on the pitch. You'd have a fucking row on the pitch because you'd be telling him what to do. But nobody said anything. Lauren Koscielny did not say a word to him. Nacho Monreal didn't say a word. Where are the experienced heads? Where's Petr Cech? Talking, telling Koscielny, talk to him and tell him to fucking sit there. What what is going on? And you know what? I was talking to... um, to Amy Lawrence a little bit this morning and we were just chatting in general and I was reminded of, do you remember that game a few years ago when Alex Song had come back from his loan at Fulham and it could have been a game like Stoke Away or something like that and Colo Toure had a real go at him. I remember Mm. either you were there or someone was there. Yeah, I think I was there, yeah. And I remember you tweeting about it or talking about it on your blog at the time where Colo Toure had uh, strong words with Alex Song because Song was going off here, there and everywhere like he was some kind of marauding midfield genius. And you said that uh, Song basically ignored Colo Toure. He ignored the seniority of that player. And nothing happened. There was no consequences of that. And it goes back that far where players are not accountable either to the manager or to themselves. That even mm. when senior players want to take up, uh, uh, take other players to task or take issue with what they're doing, they're, they're not, they're not backed up. And it just, it was obvious yesterday. Where was anybody on that pitch saying, look, just get fucking organized? And we've asked that question countless times. And the answer is that there's nobody. There's nobody in that team who is willing to be a leader, to just even stand up. You know, it's all well and good throwing your arms up after we concede a goal. Maybe try to do it before we concede a goal. Of course. But it's it's telling that you pick an example from so many years ago because that is the issue, right? It is a, an ingrained cultural problem yeah. at Arsenal. Uh, about a lack of responsibility. I mean, maybe there is a guy in the squad who does have a bit of that about him, and that might be the club captain, Per Mertzaka, but his position in the squad, I think, is being incredibly undermined at the moment by the fact that he's not being selected. I think that it's pretty clear Arsene Wenger doesn't really consider him a first-choice player, so I think it's probably more difficult for him to act upon that authority. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, I I think it's been going on for years. And I think that all the players are getting away with stuff and are guilty of hiding to an extent. 
uh, and not stepping up and taking ownership of the situation. And, and that is not in any way... Because I know Gary Neville really laid into the players on Sky and he seems to stop short often of criticising Arsene Wenger. Um, mm. But I, 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 I think that... You know, I don't think it's mutually exclusive, basically. I think the players need to take more responsibility, but I think that the way they behave is is an indictment of the manager because it is a culture that he has created. Of course. They're all his players. Every single one of them is a player that he has bought or brought through, spent money on or developed through the uh, the youth academy. Every single one of those players. Mm. So there's nobody... You know, you you look around and, you know, I felt a bit sorry for Petr Cech yesterday because he was, you know... Uh, just unable to do anything about anything that was going on ahead of him. Uh, well, I felt sorry. Saves yeah, well. exactly. I felt sorry for Rob Holding. Manager leaves him out against uh, against Stoke because he had a difficult game against uh, against Leicester on the opening day, and then throws him into that. That's so damaging for a young player because all it does is it exposes his shortcomings, which he he obviously has because he is a young central defender. They need to learn, and there's. There's a difference between having a difficult time and learning from your mistakes and being absolutely hung out to dry like so many young players have been hung out to dry before. Think of the young players that have come through and we've been excited by over the last number of years. Hector Bellerin, Alex Iwobi, Rob Holding's another one. I'm trying to think of a couple more, but I'm sure there are examples where they come into the side and because they're not inhibited by this culture of... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? This culture of mediocrity, maybe, or just um, the inability that we have to be confrontational. Confrontation is important because mm-hmm. it helps you solve problems. I'm not saying people should be fighting, but just this willingness to accept, oh, well, that's what he does, and that's what he does. They're not weighed down by it at first, and they come through, and they look good, and they look exciting, and they look full of promise, but eventually, the weight of it all just gets on top of them, and they become they become like this part of this homogenous, gloopy group of players who all have the same kind of issues yeah. and the same kind of failings. And, and, and we will get onto it, I'm sure, but it is a problem that runs right through the club, from yes. the playing staff to the dugout to the boardroom. There are lots of people... Picking up salaries and going through the motions, and and it, and it it's a huge issue. Arsenal are not really a serious club. The, uh, you, Arsenal do not look like a team that is uh, set up to be truly competitive. A club that is set up to be truly competitive, and actually, the players who want to leave the club, it's very easy as fans of our club to to look at them and highlight their flaws and and question their motives and their desires. But I I have to wonder if you are a serious professional, if you are an Alexis Sanchez, as I say, and you're part of this, I, I can't see why you would think it's worth sticking around. I, I, I think you would look at this club and think, I've, I need to get out of here. Mm. Yeah, look, I get that. But at the same time, I, you know, all these players are uh, played their part in in this as well. You know, I, do t- I completely agree with you in, in that sense, but they're also part of it. So I don't want to like make excuses for them. Like someone like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain yesterday... I mean, I don't... I, he, yeah, I, he, he, he was poor. I don't know why he was out on the field, Exactly. I mean, that's it. You know, you can be absolutely critical of his performance yesterday, and he was abysmal, but he wasn't the only one. But you've got to ask, why the fuck is he out there? Having met the club last week, turned down a new deal, maybe not worth 180 grand, but turned down a new deal, told the club that he's not willing to sign, that he wants to leave, and could this week go to Chelsea? And why are we playing him so we can play Hector Bellerin on the left-hand side? 
What is going on? Why, why is he making decisions like that? I don't know. I don't know. And it's obviously the, the frightening thing is that there is no one really to challenge it, you know, and, and no one seems determined to. I mean, I, one of the most depressing elements I found of yesterday's game were the shots of the bench. Mm. I don't know if you... Every time they cut to the bench, it was just a group of people sat, you know, with their hands stroking their chins with no sense of urgency, no sense of, can we change this? What can we do? They were so passive. And Arsenal are so passive in everything they do, on the field, off the field. Yes. They just let disaster wash over them. Mm. And it is agonising to, yeah. to, to yeah. watch. You're absolutely right there. And I think passive is, an, is the right word because the performance was so passive yesterday. Uh, you know, the moment, for example... Uh, probably first half when Mesut Ozil had his foot in the ball and mm. I can't remember who came in and took the ball off him but it was like someone robbing it candy was from Ramsey wasn't it deep yeah yeah but like he just stood there but you know what? Um, where was the shout from his teammates yeah. where's man on you know, it's that kind of thing that permeates right throughout the uh, the team, right throughout the performance yesterday. There was nobody, I you know, the one moment of the game that I kind of enjoyed was Rob Holding just clattering into Jordan Henderson late in the second half, just because it was something where he went, mm. fuck it. You know, you could see that maybe there was a little bit of frustration or, or what have you. But you're right, it's passive, on the pitch, off the pitch, poor level. You know, there are people at that football club who didn't want Arsene Wenger to sign a new deal. Um, but who are quite happy to sit around and pick up their gigantic salaries, even mm. though they've been completely and utter emasculated by the decision of Stan Kroenke to back Arsene Wenger. But they're happy to sit there. They're happy to talk about a catalyst for change. Ivan Gazidis, obviously, I'm talking about here. Catalyst for change. What the fuck kind of change has there been? None. We hired a lawyer and we brought Jens Lehmann in to do something that we don't quite know what it is. Some first-team coaching. Oh, yeah. And he, and he's one man who wasn't on the bench. Yesterday. No, he's not. Yeah. I mean, that was the idea. I don't think he, he was more a man in the stands like Boro Primorac. Yeah. That was going to be his remit. But beyond that, where where is where is the change? Where is the the catalyst for change from from Ivan Gazidis? It's um, you know, it's just very it's, very difficult to take, isn't it? It's frightening how how quickly the kind of bubble of the FA Cup win has burst, and. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, something that you were talking about before is the players. <sighs> what I always think about this Arsenal situation is, what would you think if it was another club? If you were watching this as another team, what would you think? First and foremost, uh, as much as it embarrassed me to say this, you'd probably find it hysterical. Yeah. That, like the degree to which the players are not applying themselves and seemingly have no coherent plan. You'd find that very, very funny that a club with Arsenal's resources continued to perform in that manner. But you'd also think these guys do not give a shit one way or the other what, what becomes of this manager. I, I'm convinced you would think that. In fact, you'd almost think they were willing a change. Well, that's what I've said. Like The barometer of a football club is what happens on the pitch. And when you see players who've given up after three games of the season or who can't be asked to try after three games of the season, it speaks to fundamental issues. A lack of faith in the manager, in the club, the direction of the club in each other perhaps as well in terms of the the team selections I mean what must the players be thinking when we've got a 50 million pound striker brought in to make the difference in big games and he's left on the bench I mean, I mean I've no idea because uh, you know 
Sky, I, I don't know if you watched the Sky coverage. They did a yep. big sit down with Thierry Henry and Lacazette. I bought the Sunday papers. I bought the Observer, and I was reading. Amy wrote a great piece about Lacazette, and Arsenal had been waxing lyrical yep. about him in the build-up, how he's settling in, and then for him to be on the bench, you know. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And you know I'm a fan of Danny Welbeck, but he, he did not look he does not look sharp in front of the goal at the moment. When he went through with that chance, I did not expect him to score. No. And when you've got someone who's your club record signing, who you've brought in to solve that problem, for them to not be picked, as soon as Arsenega made that decision, I thought, well, whatever the result if the result in this game goes against him, that is obviously going to be held up as as a major fault on his part. I I was Staggered by it. I was staggered by the Oxlade Chamberlain thing. Yeah. This is a guy who is playing, forcing Hector Bellerin to play out of position and wing back against a guy in Mo Salah who has started the season really well and gave him a torrid time on that side in the first half. And we just, it, it, it beggars belief. You've got another mm. left back who was the best left back in Bundesliga last season sat on the bench. Yeah. And look, Oxlade Chamberlain is, is not a defender. And whatever you think about wing-back being a position in which a player can get forward to good effect, which it is, there is a fundamental need to be able to defend. And we saw yesterday that he is, A, not willing to do it at times because he allowed players to run past him without without the, the required effort to get back into position, but B, because he's just not naturally a defensive player. His brain doesn't work like that. He doesn't see the danger. He doesn't see what's going on around him. So it was no, in a... I- I'm not a coach, but what, what's Liverpool's most dangerous area? It's the wide attack. It's Mane and Salah. So why at wing-back have you got one guy who's a winger and one guy who's on the wrong side? Yeah. It, it, it was absolutely insane. I mean, I can't... Arsene Wenger's decision... I, I listened to Tim Stillman on, on the Arsecast last week on Friday, and he was saying, I think it was on the Arsecast, that he, he, for a long time he's been trying to justify Arsene Wenger's decisions and find a rationale behind it. And he's now at the point where maybe he thinks, I don't know if there is a rationale anymore. I think these are just bad decisions. I think this is someone who doesn't necessarily have a grand plan or know what he's doing. And I empathise with that point of view because it is impossible to make sense now of some of what is going on on the field. We, we will talk, I'm sure, about the grander issues at the club and the hierarchy in the boardroom. But, yep, you know, first and foremost, you have to deal what's happening with on the pitch. And that is an an absolute mess yeah there's no two ways about it there really is no two ways about it you know the just the idea that that these guys can't even be bothered going through the motions can't even be bothered to try looking like they're trying is just so so worrying um and you know i do wonder what arson wenger thinks of that because he he will have looked at that performance whatever you think of him he's not a stupid man He's an intelligent man who's been around football for a long time, who will have seen this kind of situation at other football clubs, like we all have. We've seen teams that have given up on the manager, and their performances reflect that. And he must be aware that certain players that he's got in his side are simply not doing it for him. And quite what he's going to do about it, I don't know. But realistically, that was the case last season, for the majority of last season, and, and, and the majority of the season before. So I don't think it was as acute, James, to be honest. You know, I, really? I, I, I thought really the, the period between the end of January and the end of March last year was the first time I really, really thought that he had lost the dressing room. We've had some bad spells before, you know, some bad results, but generally speaking, we have a couple of bad results, 
and and get ourselves out of it and go on a, ba- a decent run and then have a couple of other bad results. But what happened last season between the end of January, the end of March was was to me a real shift in terms of his authority over the players and the way that the players thought about him because we hear all the time about how they respect him how they want to do it for the manager they don't want to let the manager down but you know you can talk a good game all you want but we saw what happened on that pitch in Anfield on Sunday we saw with our own eyes we don't need to look at the statistics we don't need to look at distance covered passes completed any of that kind of stuff we saw what they did and how they did it and the only conclusion that you come to is that they no longer believe in him or each other or the club individually and collectively. And that was completely and utterly reflected in that performance. I mean, I, I, I this sounds horrible, but in a way, I hope they do want the manager out because if they don't, it's arguably more frightening. If If they don't and they're just happy to carry on as they are picking up their pay packet and kind of muddling through and finishing fourth or fifth or sixth every season that troubles me more that Mm. acceptance troubles me more than wanting to be better if they want to be better if they want to be coached if they want to be prepared if they want Arsenal to improve I kind of have more time for that even though it is kind of a a disloyalty I, I can see what drives that but if it's just well, I, I, you know, I don't really care, and I know there are repercussions, and I'm happy to sign new contracts and stick around and keep earning. Mm. Then I think that's inarguably a bigger problem. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what to think. I think there's certainly an element with, with with players who want to leave because they just don't see themselves fulfilling their ambitions, their sporting ambitions at the club, and the knock-on effects of that are obvious as well. That if you start losing one or two big players, then everyone else starts questioning what's going on. Everybody. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to absolve Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain of anything. He was appalling yesterday, and I think that, obviously, it sounds like he's been a nightmare in these contractual negotiations, and I don't think he's a particularly special player. But if I, if you're him, and you're looking at it, you're going, well, okay, maybe I'm not the best player, maybe I'm not the most consistent. I need to learn. I need to improve. I need to be coached. I need to develop in a position I need some kind of tactical grounding in order to become the best player I can be and to win stuff, the big, big stuff. I can see that he might look around him and go, that's not going to happen here. Yeah. And that's not to absolve him of anything, but it's to illustrate that Arsenal is not a healthy place to be right now for anybody. No, I mean, the only way that you can... I think the only way that you can turn this around is with with a new manager. Mm. I really but do. I I agree with you, and I and I really felt that last season. You know, I really didn't want Arsenal to extend his contract. I didn't want him to extend it in 2014 either. Uh, but we are here now, and it's a. That's the worst part, isn't it? This, this sense of we're three games into a two-year contract that none of us have any belief, real belief, will be broken. Yeah. Yeah, three games into two years, more of this. That's the issue, isn't it? It's like he's done an, a, an amazing job at times and he's turned situations around when it looked like it was impossible to do that. He's done it in the past, but I just wonder if the weight 
of it all now becomes a bit too much, that it becomes impossible to, to change people's minds, to motivate them. You know, we talked last season about how we, we felt like some of the messages that he was giving on the training ground weren't getting through. The performances reflected that, the way that the players played, the way that the team was set up. I mean, it's more confusing than ever this season. And if players, I mean, if, if yeah. we as fans are confused by what's going on, surely those players must be confused as well. And again, like like you, I'm not absolving them of their responsibility uh, when it comes to what happens on the pitch. But if you lose faith in somebody who's instructing you every week, if you don't believe in what they're telling you, it becomes obvious. And I think that's what's I think that's what's happening. And in order to, like, if you Let's talk about uh, someone like Thomas Lamar at this moment in time. He could <laughs> yeah. be. No, I'm just saying that you know the no, stories. Stories this morning that he could be going to Liverpool after we've been pursuing him all summer long. We've been unable to do the deal with Monaco, and I don't think there's any way that if you're Thomas Lamar right now, you look at Arsenal and say that is the club for me. Everything seems to be a okay there. Sure, it's a big club. It's a big reputation. Great uh, history with French players, but. Is that really the, the healthiest place for me to be right now? Whereas if it's Arsenal with a new manager, somebody who's been given license to uh, to do their own thing, to change the culture of the club, to impose their own will on the team, to make big decisions, somebody somebody new and fresh, then maybe you could say, that's a club for me because I want to go with that manager. I want to help turn things around. But right now, I don't know what the fuck we're going to do. And the idea that people are still clinging to the transfer window as a way of getting ourselves out of this to oh. me just seems utterly implausible. The transfer window, honestly, honestly, I couldn't give a shit what happens in the next few days because I know that it will only ever do so much. You know, we, mm. we've 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 bought players, we've spent money in the past, and it, and I spent money the, this the summer, and we're not using the players. Yeah. And Arsene Wenger is sometimes more revelatory in his interviews with the French media than the English. And he said something after yesterday's game that I found very telling. He was speaking to one of the French TV stations and he said, there is a lot of uncertainty surrounding the club at the moment. And I just thought, after everything we went through last season, the cloud that hung over us for so many months, isn't it incredible that having had the manager extend his contract and having had a summer to prepare, that it feels in some ways like there is more uncertainty or at least as much uncertainty now as mm. there was then. And well, it's isn't just, that an astonishing yeah. failure? It's just transferred. The uncertainty has gone from the manager to the players. That's the difference. Last season, it was all about what Arsene Wenger was going to do with his contract. It became a, a mushroom that hung over us mushrooms hang over you you know just a big yeah, it'd be a, scary if they did so yeah. i think that's probably appropriate a big a big cloud that was over us and then as soon as that was sorted out then we've got the players it's ozil it's it's uh, alexis it's oxlade chamberlain it's jack wilshire you know we've nine players out of contract at the end of this season and a further eight mm. players at the end of the following season so the failures go not just um to the manager and his either unwillingness or the board's unwillingness to deal with the situation last year to just make a decision, even if it wasn't the right time, at least it was a decision that you could say, look, it's done, get over it. Um, but now it's just on the players. And, it, you know, it comes from the very top of the club. We talked about 
how there's a culture of complacency or comfort where nobody is accountable to anybody else. And when you have an owner who, quite frankly, does not care about Arsenal Football Club beyond what it will make him from a financial point of view, when that culture comes from the very top of the club, it is little wonder that it seeps all the way through, all the way through. Because Wenger is not accountable to Kroenke. Kroenke's not accountable to anyone else. Ivan Gazidis can make a power play against the manager, lose, and still stay. And then go on Sky Sports and talk to Gary Neville about what... It was a great uh, thing that Arsene Wenger was, was going to stay. You read the interview that he gave the official site after Wenger's contract was renewed. And he was... It's like it is the greatest thing of all time. When he clearly didn't want him to sign. So where are your morals? Where's your spine? Where's your backbone there? Sure, it's a lovely job, and who wouldn't turn down two million pounds a year? But you know, if you've got some if you've got some integrity, then you walk away from that. Ivan Gazidis could get another job easily enough. He'd I get mean, another yeah, job I was, in football. I was convinced it was either bullshit. or yeah. at the end of the season that that one would stay, one would go. I mean I have to say that like my instant reaction to that is to think, well, would it be better if he walked? Because at the end of the day, what you get then, you lose the one guy off the board who seems to be in touch enough with the situation to know we require a change in manager, and you probably replace him with someone else who's an Arsene Wenger appointment. Is is that better? I don't know. Look, I I don't know either. I mean, um, I just feel like when stuff like that is tolerated or becomes acceptable, that you you only foster that culture that's there. That if you really believe very strongly as the chief executive of a football club that the manager should not get a new contract, if you're overruled, emasculated by the owner, and then you go out and give like fluffy TV interviews, fuck you. That's what I think about that. Fuck you. If you're happy just to pick up the money, then fine. But you're, you're part of the problem. You are part of the problem. But it's not the problem. I mean, at the end of the day, Gazidis was right about that. Like, he was right about the manager, and it's all on Kroenke for making the conservative choice that, you know, he felt would help probably stand the best chance of continuing to bring in that Champions League money and, and, you know, not create the most unrest. Like, for me, the owner is is a huge problem. Mm. A huge problem. And I look at Liverpool, actually... And Liverpool aren't, you know, the the best model. You know, they're not exactly out there winning the Premier League every year, but they do have owners who have learnt from what happened when there was an ownership that the fans really took against. When it was, you know, Gillette and Hicks and, uh, you know, Liverpool fans were up in arms about that. I think it means that John Henry now, who controls Liverpool, has to behave in a way that is relatively accommodating to fans. And he, I think he... He has a consciousness of that, where and uh, you know you you pray that the next owner of Arsenal will <laughs> respond in a similar way. But how will that ever come about? Well, yeah, I mean the only way that it can come about is if there is some concerted focus on staying cranky. And I'm not confident that just protesting or anything else will make that much difference to him because he can sit miles and miles and miles away on his ranch in Texas and not give a fuck about anything. But I think. If people are fed up with the manager, there ought to be a bit more focus on the owner as well, because he is a big, mm. big part of this problem. He's the one well, that he's gave, the guy who gave him the contract. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, so uh, since he's taken over, he's he's prevailed over this 
stagnant era at Arsenal and it's it's kind of hard to tally that as well because we've won three FA Cups and had really enjoyable days but like it's the problems seem to be getting worse and I think there does need to be more focus on Stan Kroenke and the effect that he is having on this football club and the way that is that it's being run yeah and, and I come back to it I don't think it's necessarily the right thing at all but, you know, Manchester United sacked Louis van Gaal after he won the FA Cup. I mean, the FA Cup is fantastic and we've had brilliant days, but I don't think it, it can be allowed to cloud what's happening to the club more gradually in terms of our league position, mm. which is going down. You know, we dropped out of the Champions League last year. You look at it this year, it's very, very, very difficult to be confident of correcting that uh, <laughs> any time soon. And, yeah, it, I think a lot is on the owner. A lot is on the owner as well. You know, we we are tired of the manager's choices, but ultimately we're asking him to fall on his own sword. And a lot of people don't do mm. that. A lot of people have to have the axe come for them. And there's no one at Arsenal with the both the power and the willingness to wield that axe. Yeah. Um, so we are kind of stuck, you know, and I think the important thing as fans is I, I don't know the answers to this yet and we get a lot of questions about this but I don't know the way forward but I think the important thing is that we as supporters do our utmost to not be sucked into the passivity as well because that would be very easy it would be very easy to get tired of watching this team for your support to wane for your passion for the the inherent values of the club to wane I do think that as supporters you know we, we need to try and stay engaged and have a, an eye on how we move forward and I don't I, I don't know the practical steps but you know we are the we are the constant mm. we are the constant and we are the thing that that will outlast all these people but it, it is it is draining and I can understand people who who tweet me saying I'm not watching anymore I haven't renewed my season ticket I understand that entirely but I think that our our passivity will only lead to more problems for this football club yeah fair fair um, I know there are a lot of supporters groups out there. There are people, uh, you know, in charge of those supporters groups who are mandated to to represent fans. So mm. we'll obviously have to wait and see if they've got something to say or if they are going to organise uh, something that might, I guess, put the focus on the big issues at this football club because it's wrong just to look at Arsene Wenger. He is a big issue, but he's not the only issue. He's not the biggest issue at this football club. That we've got to look at the big, big picture and what the future might hold for Arsenal because it's quite scary because if Kroenke just is happy to go along picking up the TV money, not much is going to ever change. Um, I don't see Arsene Wenger being the kind of man who would walk away from his contract, from his work, from his life's work. But I do think you're right that sometimes the axe needs to come for somebody, that it becomes difficult for for somebody who's so in the in the football club or trying his best. Because I don't be, I don't believe that he isn't trying his best. It's just that his best is not it's just not good enough anymore. That's the problem, I think. Um and maybe he needs to be taken aside and needs to be told that by somebody, somebody that he trusts. Um, I know he's got friends in the game, Arsene Wenger. You know, you think of someone like David Dean, uh, who could maybe bring home a few home truths. But I think he's so wedded to his work that Arsenal is his life. Football is his life. And he can't envisage what it might be without either of those two things. 
Yeah, I think people often think, oh, Arsene, you're in danger of damaging your legacy. I, I honestly think, I don't know Arsene Wenger, you know, but I honestly think that his legacy for him, he doesn't really care. He's not someone who cares about, he, as far as he's concerned, he'll be gone then. He, he cares about the present moment. He loves the weekly, daily competition. Mm. And I think that that's the hardest thing for him to let go of. And I think that he he will run himself into the ground because he... he he can't walk away. Yeah. Um, but that decision was on, was, you know, the sort of Damoclean sword was hanging in the spring. You know, he, he was wavering. I mean, there were times he said things in press conferences where I was convinced, well, he, he will go. Yeah. And he so, has since convinced, he has since convinced himself or convinced the board that it's right for him to do another two years. And I, I mean, I, to be honest, I feel for him. I feel for him because he's neglected so many chances to leave this club on a high and I can't help but feel that that is going to come back to bite him in in a very painful way and and that makes me sad because what a time it would have been to go out after beating Chelsea in the FA Cup final what an escape what a miraculous escape to leave with that trophy given the state the club was in just a matter of weeks before and now we're back there again and the road ahead looks so much trickier I mean look at the next two years look at this season for a start we've got a week of this transfer window God knows how we're going to negotiate that then we've got this season to get through to try and get back into the top four to try I mean that shouldn't even be the aspiration for this club but that's what we're faced with and then look at what next summer potentially holds we are you know, to borrow a phrase from Andre Villas-Boas, potentially at the start of a horrible negative spiral, and it's two years that Arsene Wenger signed up for when he could have walked away a hero. Yeah. It's a, it's a grim thought. Yeah. You know, I agree with you. I think it would have been an amazing time for him to go after beating Chelsea in the FA Cup final. It would have been a real genuine high, and there would have been so much goodwill, and rightly so. Rightly so. But I also wonder if... Arsene Wenger feels like he has some kind of responsibility to the club in a way Mm. that, you know, people will say, well, he's doing it for his eight million pounds a year or whatever. Um, And I'm I'm sure that's not uh, an afterthought in any way, but I, yeah, it feels to me like he, he's aware of the issues and didn't want to leave the club in a difficult position like that, but by staying, has only exacerbated the difficulties that we have and that we face. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's not whatever way you look at it, whatever way you try, whatever viewpoint you try and come at it from. It's not a healthy situation at this football club right now. There's nothing healthy about what's going on at the board, on the pitch, on the training ground, at managerial level. You know, to to hear fans. Uh, and I understand why singing during the, the Liverpool game, three games into the new season, three games into a two-year contract, to hear fans singing, we want Wenger out, it's, it just makes you so worried for what's coming, what lies ahead. I mean, because you're all, you're, you're fucking, you're just clinging on by your fingernails already. You're firefighting. It has the potential to get much worse and much uglier. And that might be the only way that things change if it does get worse and if it does get uglier. But Andrew, you know, we're three games into the season, we've got one win and arguably we were quite fortunate to yeah. get that. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it's uh, it's scary times indeed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I spoke to Tim Steelman yesterday who was there at the game and I said, 
you know, was there the same kind of vitriol that you saw at Selhurst Park earlier in the spring? You know, were, were the fans furious with the players? And he said, to be honest, no, because there is that horrible kind of acceptance of, well, look, we, we made our voices heard. We said what we thought. We weren't listened to. This is what we've got for the next two years. Yeah. And that, I think, is as frightening as anything. That idea that we're kind of locked into this is, is what makes it so gloomy because your, your optimism is drained from you by the, the lack of hope for change. Yeah. It's like being in a locked room and just not seeing any way out. Eventually, what do yeah, you do? It, it couldn't be further from the catalyst for change, could it? It couldn't be further. No, there's been, it, there's no change. It's the yeah. same old, same old, same old, same old. Mm. Right. Should we take a take a little break? Yes, let's take a break. A, uh, a needed break. <laughs> a needed break. I'm just going to go get some uh, some morphine, and uh, yeah. we'll, <laughs> we'll be back with your questions and more in part two. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volur xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Normally, James, there's a fair amount of variety in the questions that we're, we're sent. Uh, I think that's yeah. reflective of our, our uh, intelligent, uh, erudite listenership. They, they give us plenty to work with. Today, it, it's not so much. There's a lot of ranting. Not too many questions, and a lot of the questions are just like, what the fuck, why, et cetera, et cetera. So there is, there's a, it's a bit more limited for us to, to work with in that regard, but we will do our best. Um, I think we can understand, I guess, people's, uh, <laughs> yeah. people's frustration. Of course. Um, 
hopefully we've we've dealt with some of those big questions anyway in, in the first part. But should we should we have some questions anyway? Let's let's make a fist of this second half. Yeah, unlike Arsenal yesterday. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I'll go first. So a, a few people chimed in with this kind of question. Um, this, this is from Alan Moore on the Facebook. He says, we're in an awful state. We're not going to get a new manager and highly unlikely will challenge for the league. So should we sell our want-away players, reinvest and use this season to bed in new players so they're ready for next season? I can't believe I'm already ho- putting my hope into next season. And uh, yeah, Runar Hansen on Twitter also said, are we better, better off selling Ox, Ozil and Sanchez now? Try to restart the club and the squad. Um, maybe at least it would show that we're doing something but again I come back to the idea that if you sell those players how do you then sell Arsenal as a club as a destination for for possible arrivals Mm. you know if you say to a player right now come to Arsenal you can play with Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil then that's attractive if you say to a player come to Arsenal you can play with Aaron Ramsey and Granit Xhaka it's not as attractive, and that's not to be you know critical of the, them as players, but that's just the reality of it. Again, you know, I find it hard to like. I I, I like the idea of reboot, a reboot where you just say, okay, if you don't want to be here, fine, you can go. But I don't think reboot is possible without a total reboot. Comes to comes back to the manager. I don't think Arsene Wenger, at sixty-seven years of age, nearly sixty-eight years of age, is the man to reinvigorate the squad to 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 set us on a new path. We're way down the Arsene Wenger River at this point, and I just don't see how he's going to be able to do that. So I can see the sense of it, to be perfectly honest, but I don't think that he's the man to do it. It's that mad thing, isn't it, where he signed a two-year contract and everyone's looking at going, potentially, it's his last two years. So you'd think there'd be a real concerted effort to kind of build a successful side in that period. But actually, it feels like, looking at the situation for most of the playing staff, a period of constant transition Mm. um, that will never actually come to any kind of fruition. It seems almost impossible. I I think it's too late in the summer to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think if you were going to make that decision... You had to make it when those players first indicated they wouldn't be signing a new contract. I knew that, really, towards the end of last season. Mm. Um, and I think if you'd said at that stage, well, look, we're going to sell Alexis, we're going to sell Chamberlain, maybe we're going to sell Ozil if we can find a buyer, but this is the plan for who to replace them, and we've got all summer to do the deal to get those people in place. But at this point in the calendar, I feel like you'd lose them and have next to nothing, really, to, 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 to bring in in their stead. I mean, on the other side of the coin, I kind of think, like, what have you got to lose? I mean, if Arsenal lost a couple of big players now, I still think, when I look at the rest of the Premier League, they're probably going to be the sixth best team. Like, without Alexis, even, I think they're probably going to be the sixth best team. And I don't think that with him, they're going to be much better. But so I, I almost I, feel like the stakes aren't that high. Are we going to be the sixth best team when we can't even be uh, a rabble like Stoke? Are we well, really, you know... Maybe I'm being optimistic. Maybe so. I mean, I can see... Look, I, you know, I I see people talking about the squad and, and everything else, but, you know, the, I don't think the fundamental issue is the quality of the players. That's not to say they couldn't yeah. improve in some way. Of course they could. You could do business. I think we've hung on to a couple of players for too long. But I think in general, the quality, the technical level of the players is pretty good. 
it's to do with how they're being set up. It's to do with how they're being managed. It's to do with how they're being coached. It's to do with how the team is being selected. Yeah, I mean, look at the midfield. I don't really believe that Wijnaldum and Emre Can are significantly superior footballers to Shakra and Ramsey. I don't really believe that. Oh, you're silent though, so maybe you No, 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 no. I was just letting you talk. But I mean, I, I think what... what uh, you know, you look at the way Ramsey played, it was far too individualistic. I, I like Aaron Ramsey. I think he's got some great qualities as a footballer, but he would drive me mad if he was in my team. I would fucking have him by the neck, literally, mm. for not doing his job, for not doing the first job that he's there to do. And even if he's, even if he is being instructed by Arsene Wenger, have a free roll, roam about the pitch, do what you like, get into the box late. There must be something in him surely where he he thinks uh, actually you know I could help out a bit here I could do a bit more to help my team defensively and if he isn't thinking that then there's something really wrong with him Xhaka well, I think there might be something qu- quite wrong with him and, and that's only because more than mo- pretty much any player in that squad he is an Arsene Wenger uh, player like he came here at 17 16 17 he has spent his entire most of his football education under Arsene Wenger it's not like he's like well when I played with this team we were more like this or when I played under this manager we were more like that so I've got that ingrained in me mm. he only knows how to play for Arsene Wenger so you know I, I kind of think he's been coached in isolation and that's part of his problem yeah, I mean, in some ways, I know Xhaka's limitations have been exposed a bit in the last few games, but it's hard not to feel a little bit sorry for him. One-man midfield against three Liverpool players yesterday yeah. with nobody helping I him. I must say, it's weird, the Shaka one, isn't it? Because I feel like going into this season, I, I think you, I think lots of Arsenal fans were really optimistic about what he would be able to produce this season. I think that's because of the way he played towards the back end of the last campaign, some signs we saw in pre-season. But he's had a really, I mean, disastrous start to the season. I mean, in terms of conceding possession at costly times, you know, I know there's a lot that happens between that and the ball hitting the net, and there are other players who should assume more defensive responsibility, but it's it's been pretty awful for him so far. Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways he's been a bit unlucky, but certainly there's been a carelessness to his game which has been exposed. But I think particularly particularly yesterday when he, his pass didn't reach Hector Bellerin, you know, three central defenders in there. Firmino's not the biggest guy in the world. There was no defensive desire. There was no aggression in our defending to make sure that we were the ones to get to the ball first. So there's a lot on the, the defense as well. But I mean, the man marking Firmino, if you watch it back, is actually Salah. Like if, if Firmino doesn't put it in, Salah's completely free, stood mm. right next to him. So yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, if, you know, we haven't actually dealt with the specifics of the game too much, but the way in which the players, inverted commas, chased back on some of those Liverpool goals was shocking. Yeah, well, that goes back to what we were talking about, the lack of application and some of the players just dialing it in. But you know, you look at all the goals: first goal, mistakes; second goal was one of our attacks that broke down and they countered and we didn't get back quickly enough. Um, if people had put more effort in, we could have blocked that man a shot. Third goal, a mistake from Hector Bellerin. Fourth goal, like, why the fuck are we left so exposed at the back? You know, we're 3-0 down away from home. 
there's no way we're getting back into that game. Just stay organized and just try and minimize the, the humiliation. But one of the things that Arsene Wenger said after the game, he was asked why the team played the way it did. And he, he was asked this in the post-match interview with Sky, with Jeff Shreves, which I watched mm-hmm. and I looked at Arsene Wenger and thought, Jesus Christ, he looks, you know, completely and utterly beleaguered way apart from the Arsene Wenger that won the FA Cup back in May who looked rejuvenated. He looked like he had the weight of all the worlds on his shoulders after just three games of the season. Um, And he said, look, there are reasons I don't want to go into them. After the game, he said, it's a difficult question to answer straight away after the game. And there there are some reasons, but I don't think I have to come out too much on that now. Ralph... Uh, sorry, Ralph Shalson, who's at Carabiner1 on Twitter. He says, what do you think those reasons that Arsene Wenger couldn't or wouldn't talk about might be? I can only think it's to do with the transfer market. I can only think that he thinks in much the same way that the uncertainty of his own contract situation seeped into his... Uh, seeped into into the team and and you know created that kind of inertia in them in the spring i can only think that he thinks there are too many players whose heads aren't quite right and that mm. that might have affected our performance how did you interpret it i i or he might just be bullshitting and he's just you know buying time and he doesn't know what to say that, I mean, that is also a possibility <laughs> that was kind of my thinking on it that was kind of my thinking. Like, I don't doubt that there are things that are going on at that football club that might well be having an impact on things. But I wonder how many of those things that are going on at that football club are because of the way that Arsene Wenger is, is managing it or is being allowed to manage it, you know? Um, maybe he wants I, I, to spend more money. Maybe he's, like, completely happy with his squad, as he said last week. He's very happy with the quality of his squad. You know... I just don't know that there are reasons or conspiracies or hidden things going on that are making this team play the way that they're playing. Are there hidden reasons as to why he's playing players out of position, playing Oxlade-Chamberlain when he's about to sell him? Whose reasons is are, are those? Those are his. Mm. So I don't know that there's any vast conspiracy behind the scenes. He's been given the backing of the man who who matters the most in that regard, Stan Kroenke. He's got the full thumbs up from Kroenke in terms of a new two year deal. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to delegate to anybody. He doesn't have to answer to anybody. So to suggest there are things going on that might be hampering him, I don't know. Unless Kroenke is absolutely and utterly withholding money. That in order to to keep Alexis, for example, if we were going to get fifty million pounds for Alexis, well, then you've got to raise fifty million pounds from from selling players. I, you know, I don't know, but again, that's us venturing into the realms of conspiracy theories. Um, but I, you know, I'm I can't think of anything. Well, I mean, I, I, it would be. I know we're both a bit kind of. Uh unenthused about the transfer market right now but it would be kind of remiss of me not to ask you what you think the next few days might hold this is the last one of these we'll do before the transfer deadline what what do you actually expect to unfold over the next next few days i expect us to sell oxlade chamberlain immediately putting our transfer mm-hmm. business for the summer into profit I think yeah. i think we're going to let um mustafi go to inter milan on loan for the season with an option to buy maybe 
maybe it's a definite purchase agreement at the end of the uh, the end of the the loan spell. Mm. So that mm. will rob us of another central defender. I expect us perhaps to, under the circumstances, sign a player because it you will think there'll be a bit of pressure too, basically, or off yeah. of that result. Yeah, yeah. I think we will sign a player or at least try and sign a player that might get people excited and on board again and, you know, that they'll say, well, look, this shows that we're moving in the right direction. But I think it's driven by what's happening on the pitch in terms of the poor start to the season and it'll be driven by the market. It's not strategic. It's not something that we have planned. It doesn't speak to a recruitment policy that makes sense whereas somebody is sitting down or a number of people are sitting down at the, the start of the season and saying, or start of the summer saying, where are we weak? Where do we need to improve? Okay, let's do this, this, this. Who is underperforming? Who can we live without? Who can we generate some revenue from that we are okay with losing? Bang, bang, bang. And you get rid yeah, of those of players and you move them on. Like, again, this make it up as we go along transfer activity that has been the hallmark of this club for so many seasons now. Here we are again. We're looking at another August trolley dash. Think of the players that we brought in in the uh, at the end of August in seasons past because things have been not quite like this, but not as good as they should have been. There's been pressure. There's been, you know, difficulties going on. Danny Welbeck, Lucas Perez, Godran Mustafi, uh, Per Mertesacker, Mikel Arteta, Andre Santos, uh, Park, uh, Park Chu Young, Yossi Benayoun. How many of those players you could say were a genuine, genuine success? At Arsenal, that mm. mm. I'm sure I'm forgetting some others as well. So I think that's where <sighs> we're heading. I think that's where we're heading. Another kind of oh fuck, we better do something. Transfer into the transfer window. Well, and look, it, Paul, Paul Kenny on Twitter, sorry, says um, Liverpool are in for Lamar this morning. How much of an indictment is it on Arsenal if they manage to get that over the line? Um, a significant one, no? Yes. Yeah. Because we were in for him, we couldn't get the deal done. We couldn't persuade Monaco to sell. I mean, this was we're the, the only of, club who can't persuade Monaco to sell. I mean, this is this is the kind of player that Arsene Wenger would have had no problem attracting a few years ago, because of his reputation, because of the reputation of Arsenal, because of his reputation for improving players. Like, think about it. Who is the last player that's come to Arsenal who has improved? over the course of their time at the club, who wasn't an established star, an established talent. Who is it? I, it is hard to say. I mean, I actually think Alexis Sanchez has improved at Arsenal, but because, you know, he's been given more licence at Arsenal. But he, as you say, he was very established before. In terms of someone who's been... You know, it's like when we were talking about signing Mbappe and Lamar, the, the references cited were people like Henri and Vieira. And without exaggeration... Those are 20 years ago. Mm. Yeah. And Anelka, you know. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think Koscielny. Koscielny. Maybe Giroud. Yeah, Giroud is a good one, to be fair. And again, we go back to Giroud getting a bit more stick than he deserves. But he has improved. But he is fundamentally limited in terms of what he brings you as a centre-forward. Like, he hit a ceiling at Arsenal 
And it's mm. a good ceiling, but not if you're the main stri- striker for a club like Arsenal that has supposedly got ambitions for, for winning the league. But I think, uh, I think Giroud is a decent shout as well. But again, we go back to, to young players, to this, uh, the project, the British core. Jack Wilshire hasn't improved. Aaron Ramsey had a brilliant season. And, uh, you know, questions have got to be asked about him. Kieran Gibbs hit his ceiling. Carl Jenkinson, Oxley chamberlain none of them have developed into the kind of players that A, people wanted them to be, or B, people expected them to be under the tutelage of Arsene Wenger. And you have to ask, is he capable of getting the best out of players anymore? And I think the answer is no. Mesut Ozil, mm. supposed to be a game changer. I thought your mm. theory on Ozil was quite an interesting one. Um, do you want to just expand yeah. on that very... Yeah, all I was saying was that I think Ozil takes a lot of stick after games like yesterday. And actually, I didn't think he was any worse than anybody else, to be honest. I think he's kind of an easy win for most pundits. But my basic theory is that when we signed Ozil in 2013, we kind of embarked on a a project to construct a team around him. And and part of that was switching to a formation with a number 10. Mm. Part of that was rejecting the opportunity to re-sign Cesc Fabregas. There was a huge investment financially and in terms of faith in Meza Ozil as the guy who could be kind of the key playmaker in a, a side that would compete in the Premier League. And uh, I think fundamentally that project hasn't worked. And, you know, uh, what I said was that our teams are often said to be in the image of their manager. And I think that is always true to an extent. But I think we are somewhat a team in the image of our playmaker, of our key player. Meza Ozil, we're kind of a, a bit of a fair weather side in that respect. And I think that... It, a more ruthless manager probably would have seen that for all Ozil's talent, he probably would have seen earlier on in this process that it wasn't going to be, it wasn't the right project. It wasn't the right form for this team to take, the right shape for this team to take. I don't actually believe in my heart of hearts that uh, a a team kind of constructed around the creative talents of Ozil will actually win the Premier League. I think the Premier League is a different competition and I don't think Ozil is the same kind of player as a Burkamp or even a Fabregas, really, as yeah, you, you let, can do that with. Let me ask you this, then. Go on. Isn't part of a manager's job when it comes to getting the best out of a player, isn't just that player as an individual, it's what's around him. That if a player, well, course, if a player has X, Y, and Z qualities that are brilliant but lacks A, do you not then put somebody in your team who's got lots of A, who can offset that that imbalance. I mean, we saw it with Fabregas as well. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And and what I would say is that the Ozil project has failed, but that is not all on Ozil. It's also on Arsene Wenger's failure to build the appropriate team around him. Mm. And, you know, <clears throat> he hasn't made the necessary um, adaptations to his team mm. to make it successful. He can't. He's had, what is it, four years? He's had four years in which to do that. And he hasn't really managed to do it consistently. Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, I think it, there would have been a strong argument for abandoning that idea this summer. But th- this the curious thing about this summer, this is something I heard um, Elliot from the Arsenal Vision podcast say. It's, it's kind of a, a real half-assed thing where on the one hand we've gone, look, we're going to go all out 
for it this year. We're going to hold on to people for footballing reasons. People like Alexis, people like Ozil, people like Chamberlain. You know, we're going to give ourselves the best chance we can to be competitive. But as you just alluded to, on the other side, we have not done the requisite work to support those players. So yeah. we're actually not much better off than where we started. And it, what it actually looks like is a desperate attempt to cling on to some kind of status, but without any kind of real plan behind it. It's... Uh, it's frustrating, and I think that the, the indictment for Arsene Wenger is not seeing that the path the team is on is not necessarily a path to success. I cannot look at this team now and go, OK, there are problems, but I can see how in three years or two years they might be improved. Nobody can see that. And even in the dark days post-Emirates Stadium where we had to play the kids, you at least had that light at the end of the tunnel. But that light is completely extinguished at this point. It just feels like day-by-day day ad hoc chaos. Yeah. Yeah, because you look at what could what's coming down the line in terms of contracts and everything else and you can see more easily how it might get worse than than it getting better. Um right. Cheerful question section. Yeah, anyway, well look, <laughs> you know, we are where we are. What can we do? You know, we are we are uh Yeah, I can't even fucking think of words anymore. My brain hurts. Um, Adam, who's at the 3-5 Who, wants to know, with our transfer deals and one season seemingly based on the back three, is it too early to scrap it? I said it last week. I think we're going to move away from the back three. And I think our first game back will be... Bournemouth at home. Yeah, we're going to go with a back four. I'm almost positive that the back three is going to come to an end sooner rather than later. Like he's let two central defenders go. That speaks to a desire. Well, I think that well must almost be part of the thinking. Yeah, with Mustafi, isn't it? If, if Mustafi goes, I think that's a, a clear indicator. What do you think's happened there? Do you think I've something no must idea. have happened? Like, is it is it just a case that like um, he doesn't rate him and says, okay, he can leave because he's only just back after the Confederations Cup. And then all of a sudden, a player who was a fixture in his team last season when he was fit, Mustafi was there. He was in the team with both a back three and a back four. He was the middle man in the back three in the in the in the second half of the season until he got that injury and you know missed the games through concussion. That for for him to decide all of a sudden that a thirty five million pound signing is expendable and he's willing to let him go on loan, not just sell him. It's not because somebody has come in and said we'll give you. Look at all this money we'll give you for for Mustafi. It's too good to turn down. We're we're getting rid of him. It's not a question of selling because a good deal has come along. If it, it feels like we're actually getting rid of him, we're managing mm. a situation that we've got to we've got to get this guy out of the club. So it's, it Bombing feels out, like something yeah. has happened. I don't know what, but well, I mean, there's there's been some talk about you know are some of these player acquisitions influenced by. Um, Stat DNA, the statistics company we acquired, and we had a question about that. We will come back to the back four because I think that needs talking about. But somebody said, um, it was Rufus Hall on Twitter says, you've both mentioned Mustafi and others being Stat DNA signings. Is there any proof of this? Surely it's down to Wenger to make the decision rather than Stat DNA. I mean, do, what do we really know about that situation? I guess the, the actual intricacies of it are you know, kind of beyond us. But there are certainly certain players we've signed in recent years where the, the, the talk... The whispers are that the analytics department had a significant say. Yeah, 
I don't know exactly how it works, but surely Arsene Wenger would say, look, find me a player who can do this, that and the other. Stat DNA will identify all those things. I mean, the, the three players that I can think of who are stat, I don't know whether Xhaka was one, but certainly uh, Elneny was one. Gabriel was yeah. one. And I don't know whether Mustafi was one as well. Or when we were trying to get somebody else, stat DNA came up with Mustafi. But Elneny wasn't even in the squad yesterday. He's been marginalized quite considerably since his arrival. He, he looked very promising, but again, is not a player that convinces the manager. I mean, you, you just look at the, the players over the last uh, number of years that we've brought in who, who have been cast aside to a certain extent. Lucas Perez, now Mustafi, Elneny, Gabriel. Whether it's stat DNA... I don't know whether that's part of the power play that's going on behind the scenes. I don't know. I'd love to know, to be perfectly honest. I'd love to find out what the fuck is going on in that regard and what influence that DNA has over our over our uh, incoming arrivals. But there does seem to be some kind of a link between the players that we're letting go and their the influence that stat DNA had over the decisions to to bring them in. Yeah, I mean, you know, you even look at the case of someone like Lucas Perez. I know for a fact that prior to Arsenal's interest in it or a bid for him last summer, you know, Arsenal were briefing agents that he wasn't good enough to play for Arsenal. And then he turns up at the club. So there are definitely problems in our uh, in our acquisition process, in, in, our, in the way we go about identifying talent. And there's different, clearly differences of opinion between scouting, between analytics and between the manager as well. And I feel like maybe some of these sales that we're seeing happen are part of the manager reasserting his authority. I mean, the case of Mustafi specifically, who knows? Maybe he's asked to leave. He used to play in Italy. He liked it there. Maybe he wants to go back. Maybe uh, there's been a falling out. Maybe he's just sick of playing in an Arsenal defence, which really exposes some of his weak points. Because let's be honest, it's not like he's looked particularly great shakes um, since since January or so. So uh, I don't know. It's very strange, though. It's a very strange one. As mm. for the back three, the back four, what? How mad is that? That all see all through preseason, we didn't play with a back four. We used a back three. We seemingly signed a wing-back who seemed to fit that system perfectly. And now since then, we've not used the wing-back as a wing-back. We've abandoned the back three in each of our three league games to date. And now I think we are on the verge of returning to the back four on a permanent basis. I mean, that just speaks to the lack of plan, I think. Yeah, yeah. And what's the midfield answer? When Arsene Wenger needed a midfield answer at Anfield to make the back four work, who did he turn to? Francis Cochrane. Well, that's not Cochrane's fault. You know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying it's Cochrane's fault. Yeah. But I'm saying it's not exactly progress, is it? No, no, it's not. But unless Arsene knows something about the fitness of Santi Gazzola that, that we don't. Oh, look, come on. You know, I love Santi Gazzola, but Santi Gazzola is not not the he's not the man who's going to fix this. It goes way no. beyond what Santi Gazzola can bring to this team. Santi Gazzola is going to be 33 soon, um, and I love him. I think he's a a wonderful, gifted footballer, and I wish he'd been around for the last um, 12, 18 months. I wish he'd been fit. I feel terribly sorry for him that, you know, the this part of his career has been absolutely ruined by injury, and it's he's such a nice, likable guy. But let's not let's not go down the road of thinking that all of all of what's wrong with this team can be fixed by the return of Santi Cazorla to midfield. You know his his skill sets are amazing, but it goes uh, it goes a lot deeper than that. 
Um, you know, I think we are going to go back to a back four. But even then, I wonder, who are we playing in a back four? Who are our two centre-halves? He doesn't want to play Mertesacker. He doesn't fancy Mertesacker. That's, that's, that's clear. Rob Holding, like, I, I fear for Rob Holding. A really good player, lots of potential, but he doesn't have anybody beside him to teach him. You need yeah. you need experienced defenders alongside you who can talk to you and teach you how to defend. And I think with Koscielny there, he's you know he'll do that. But are we looking? You know, if if Mustafi goes, what are we looking at? Koscielny and Monreal, Koscielny and Chambers. I mean, what is the plan there? I can't figure it out. I just can't unless there's a signing coming in. But again, who's that guy? Who's the guy to come in and, and make that defense better? So it's it's just so hard to understand what's going on from a defensive point of view, but I do think we're moving away from the back three. Do you think uh do you think Alexis will still be here on Friday? If you'd asked me that before the Liverpool game, I would have said yes. Yeah. Now I'm not so sure, but again, I, don't, I, I think his destinations are so limited that the, the likelihood is that, yes, he will be. Because I don't think there's anywhere on the continent that's after him. PSG it's are going to do... It's a massive bust, isn't it, for yeah. him? And I don't think and if we, we do that. Do if him. we sell Alexis Sanchez to Man City before deadline day, we might as well just fucking set a torch, you know, yeah. set the whole <laughs> so fucking yeah. place on fire. Because what's the fucking point? What is the point of anything? What's the point of being fucking football club if that's what we're going to do so I don't know I mean I I just I don't know what's going to happen between now and Thursday I really don't I'm, I'm expecting this evening Monday evening as we listen to this I'm almost certain that there's going to be war chest stories in the papers there's going to be talk about how we're ready to spend money to turn things around Right, yeah. I'm, I'm, if we don't see those stories tonight, even though it's a bank holiday in the UK and maybe some people aren't working and aren't there to, you know, send that brief out, I'd be, I'd be very surprised, but also very worried. Um, you know, we're, we're going to have a deadline day dash. Guarantee you, we've got to see those stories because otherwise, otherwise they've, they've just fucking given up. Um, here's a question from Ian Stone at Ian D. Stone and he says uh, how far can we go before Stan bails out how far can we go pretty far yeah I mean yeah I had an interesting message on Twitter yesterday from someone I mean I, I, I I have to be honest I don't really know all the background around this but saying that there was an example relatively recently of I think it was Josh Kroenke rather than Stan pushing out a coach quite shortly after signing a new contract and sort of showing an awareness at least of fan sentiment um, and attempting to be in touch with them I don't know if there's some kind of hope to be derived from that but I don't think it's staggering how quickly all the talk of a, a sale from Stan has died away isn't it I mean the last game of last season, there'd been all those stories about a bid from Uzmanov, about another potential buyer. There were chants of, we want Kroenke out, ringing around the Emirates. I'd like and to hear those chants again. Yeah. Well, I think that's has to happen, really. Okay, I, I, I found know. that message. It's from uh, Clarence, 
um, on Twitter and he says the Rams fired Jeff Fisher one week after they announced his two-year extension that he signed in the summer. Josh Kroenke knew that fans want him fired, wanted him fired. Is this where we are? So, is this where we are that we're... I think it... Well, I think it says... That it, I think it... I think it like Josh Kroenke is what we're... Is. Josh Kroenke is what we're pinning our, our hopes on. Yeah, yeah. Well, unless we can get... Unless we can get a new owner in... And, and that means getting the incumbent owner out. And I, and I think that's going to be very difficult to do. He had a very good offer to <laughs> to get out in the spring and he had no interest in it at all. He had a very good financial offer. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how bad it would have to get. Not even how bad, how vocal it would have to get, you know. Um, it's a good job this wasn't a video podcast because I just spent the last 30 seconds there with my head in my hands. <laughs> I really did. I mean, is it? Stan won't leave. He won't leave. Like, however bad it gets, you know, the money is still going to pour in. The money's going to come in from TV rights. And there's not that much difference between what you get for finishing 10th and 5th. There isn't really in terms of prize money. You still get your overseas rights. And, you know, obviously the Champions League money would be nice. So maybe Stan's ambition is would be to get us back into the Champions League places, and he's happy enough with that. But I just think that, yeah. And also, people say hit him in the pocket, and I understand that. But the actual ticket revenue is a relatively low part of Arsenal's income now, as far as I understand it. Especially, it's dwarfed by the television money. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. For most Premier so, League clubs, that's the case now. That the television money is a, a bigger source of revenue than ticket sales. So even with a half-empty stadium... And merchandising deals, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, there's only so much you can do by not turning up to a game. Yeah. I mean, especially at this point where so many season tickets are sold. But it can send a message. It can be a visual communicator, which is which is worth something, I, I do think. Yeah, I mean, there's the, the, the... I don't want to... You know, obviously it's a football club, but there's, there's the whole brand value, isn't it? You know, exactly. that's that's the thing. And, uh, you know, Arsenal's marketing department are finding it difficult enough to attract sponsors and partners and all that kind of stuff. Um, even when we had Champions League football, it wasn't easy. And now when you're a Europa League team who's heading... Heading in the wrong direction, I think, uh, based on what we've seen so far from this season, then it's going to be even more difficult. And that will have a knock-on effect. But again, you're talking about that taking 12, 18, 24 months to be really, really visible. And yeah, I, I just I just don't know. I don't know what to... Uh... I mean, what well, really, we're in a situ- situation where we're praying for a, a, a white night, really, aren't we? And even then, you need... Cronky to agree to that. Yeah, yeah. Is there a white knight? Not sure. I think the bigger problem is is convincing the the current owner to sell. Yeah, yeah. That's that's not going to be easy. That is not going to be easy. Um, all right. Have we got? It's never happened world? before in uh, this case. I don't. Think no, well, that's so. it. He hangs on to his his franchises. Uh, everyone knows that. He's said on the record that he's got no intention of selling. I know that when there were people interested in purchasing his stake, he was quite strident that he had no intention whatsoever of, of selling. Um, and I don't think that's going to change. Even with lots of people hating Stan Kroenke, he's quite happy being hated. He's quite happy being hated. You know, he moved uh, the Rams from uh, St. Louis to 
Los Angeles. Doesn't care. Yeah. Doesn't care. Everyone there hates him, but he doesn't care because he's got a big new valuable franchise in LA. So what people think of him means little. No, I mean, he literally doesn't... He lives in another country. I mean, it doesn't affect him. He, he, he couldn't care less. Mm. Um, so it's a real problem. It's a real problem. And the reason the focus is on the manager is because that's the easiest problem to solve, actually. Like, you know, changing yeah. the manager is quite doable in real terms. Changing the owner is something that's, you know... It's a huge task for, for to push an owner out, but it, it it has been done, but not to him. Yeah, yeah, it has been, but it would require something huge and concerted, and yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Do you want to talk about something else? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to talk about? I don't know. Our feelings. Our feelings, definitely not. That's just going to be more of the same, I suspect. <laughs> uh, I've absentmindedly just picked up a razor. <laughs> it was on my Don't desk. do it! Don't do it, James! Here, it's a little Gillette disposable, and I've just realised that for the last ten minutes I've just been sort of... Slicing my it. arm open. <laughs> <laughs> There's blood everywhere. I didn't even realise I was doing it. I'm feeling quite faint now. I can't believe I've done that. I'm just going to put it quite far away over there. You're just throw, um, it, throw it out the window. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it's really grim. It's really grim. And actually, it's really sad and frustrating, isn't it? When a couple of games into the new season, you already feel like you don't want to watch match of the day. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that is the uh, the thing by which I, I view my seasons. Can I watch match of the day on a Saturday night in two weeks <laughs> uh, in a row? I uh, haven't been able to. Obviously, we played on a Sunday, but you know what I mean? Just about watching match of the day and... Yeah. Just you know, wanting to engage with football and and be excited about a new campaign for that to be gone quite so quickly um, is is a real shame. Is a real shame. Yeah. And I know that you know there is a there is a train of thought that might go well. You know, you're overreacting. It's three games in, but I don't think we are. I think if anything, we are uh, awakening <laughs> to the reality having sort of maybe slightly suspended some disbelief over the summer. Because, mm. you know, that's the nature of support being a supporter, isn't it? You yeah. you allow yourself to feel optimistic, you hope for change. Um, but sometimes the, the reality yeah. is a bit more depressing. Like I said the other week, you know, I go into the start of every new season, despite what my head tells me, my heart tells me, come on, it's a bright new season, this is it, clean slate for everybody, you never know what might happen. Could be amazing. And uh, that's gone now. <laughs> and I think, yeah, and I think as well. Like normally, we start the season thinking, "Hey, maybe we'll maybe we'll challenge for the league this year." And then we end kind of in a battle for fourth. And by the time that battle for fourth comes around, we say that's a real downer and really depressing. And I think the kind of awful thing about this season is that from the outset, outset even, mm. I think the pretense, any pretense of winning the league, is kind of gone. And we know from the very start that the most we can hope for. Is a is like you know eight months of a battle for fourth, mm. and it's it you know call us spoiled, but it's difficult to get excited about that. Mm -hmm. It really is. It really is. Well, look, you know, I think we, uh, I think we've done this one to death, to be perfectly honest, because uh, yeah. I, I can't think of anything else. But I do want to finish on a positive note, if I can. Uh, obviously, you've got a big week coming up, James. Um, getting married. Trust the deadline. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting married. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Will someone scupper the deal? You know, will, will I be gazumped <laughs> at the altar? Um, no, yeah, I'm getting married after the transfer deadline on Saturday. Sensible. So that, Sensible. Yes. So that will be hopefully nice. I mean, hopefully it'll be better than this. It's an international break, of course. I've timed it very well. Hopefully my wedding will be better than Arsenal getting beaten 4-0 by Liverpool, says James. I, Listen, re- I, I really I, fucking do hope it's I really had the optimism sucked out of me. <laughs> well, look, I think on behalf of uh, uh, on behalf of everyone who's listening to this podcast and who listens week in, week out, we thank you very much for that. And especially we thank you on days like today when it's, uh, you know, it's not, it's not easy for us to do it, but we know as well that it's not easy for you guys to listen to it. Hopefully it proves in some way, cathartic and hasn't uh, hasn't completely ruined your mood but I think on behalf of everyone I'd like to wish both yourself and Camille uh, a great day on Saturday and obviously every happiness uh, in the future and for the rest of your lives thank you so much yeah no listen it is nice to have something positive on the horizon um, and who knows you know maybe it is as important as the football I don't know we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> alright on that note we will leave it there uh, we will have an Arscast uh, on Friday a post transfer deadline day Arscast in fact there may be a surprise Arscast later today or tomorrow you never know if uh, if something uh, comes out and uh, things fall into place uh, in the meantime though thanks a million for listening uh, we know it hasn't been the most cheery one of all time but uh, that's not our fault um, no. no it's definitely not our fault we'll catch you on the next one cheers bye bye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.